This podcast is brought to you by the Village of Bedford Park, your home for business. Over 450 businesses strong and growing with a safe, reliable Lake Michigan water supply. Visit VOBPBiz.com and bring your business home to the Village of Bedford Park. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Now, the WBBM Noon Business Hour. It's 12.03, Thursday afternoon, October 12th. Good afternoon. Thanks for joining us on the Noon Business Hour. I'm Rob Hart. The Evanston Land Use Commission has approved the development of a new Northwestern football stadium with a key caveat. We'll cover that in our next segment. But right now, the latest numbers on inflation are out, along with the cost of living adjustment for individuals receiving Social Security. Joining us now on the Village of Bedford Park business line, reminding you to bring your business home is Diane Swank, Chief Economist with KPMG in Chicago. Diane, thank you for joining us today. Core CPI up three-tenths of a percent month over month. The overall CPI up uh, four-tenths of a percent uh, month over month in the latest CPI reading. Uh, What is driving the uh, increase in consumer prices on a monthly basis uh, in the month of September? Well, what we're still seeing is increases that we didn't expect in the shelter cost component that is important. That's everything from rental costs to homeowners' equivalent rent, and that's what you could rent your home for, along with hotel rooms. We saw those pick up as well. Then no surprise to your listeners out there, vehicle insurance is really going up by quite a bit, and that is starting to pick up. We have seen costs at restaurants also rise. So this service sector inflation, the one part of inflation that the Fed worries the most about being connected to underlying wages and the underlying labor market, that's where we're seeing the most persistent inflation in the U.S. economy, and that's what's given financial markets some concern that the Fed may not be done. Our own view on the Federal Reserve is that, in fact, the rise in bond yields and broader tightening of credit conditions, because remember, those Treasury bond yields set everything from mortgage rates in the U.S. economy to corporate bond yields and municipal bond yields, much more broader tightening than the Fed can do with short-term interest rate increases that mostly affect bank credit, which is only about a third of all credit in the U.S. economy. That broader tightening has really caused many within the Fed leadership to say that may be doing the heavy lifting for us when it comes to rate hikes which still puts November as not a sure bet in terms of a rate hike. Our own view is that they'll skip November and wait to see how the data comes out in December. Of course, we may not get data on December if the government goes into a shutdown in mid-November. We're talking to economist Diane Swank about the latest consumer price index report. On an annualized basis, uh, core uh, inflation is now at uh, 4.3%. That's still way off from the 2% target, but also down considerably from the numbers we were talking about a year ago. And uh, the analogy I keep going back to is it's like losing weight. Uh, The first 20 pounds are easy, but uh, the, the rest of the way that's that's where that's where the hard that's where the hard part begins 
Exactly, and that's a good way of putting it, although I will say the one surprise for the Federal Reserve has been the remarkable resilience of the economy through the most rapid Fed hike take tightening cycle we've had since the 1980s. The economy actually accelerated over the summer as inflation cooled, and that is important in what was once considered to be a marathon and the hardest mile for the Fed in terms of getting inflation down for the moment has turned into more of a relay race where sectors that were driving employment gains early on have handed on off the baton to sectors that were lagging employment early on. That includes everything from leisure and hospitality, restaurant employment just just now hit the peak in September that it hit in February of 2020. Healthcare also seeing major gains over the summer in government, which had been a major laggard starting to see gains. They could not compete with the private sector when the hiring frenzy was at its height in 2022. Diane Swank, Chief Economist, KPMG, based in Chicago. Thank you for joining us today. Coming up, a new football field for Northwestern, minus the music. A deposit for your future. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. A City of Evanston commission has approved the planned development of a new Northwestern University football stadium, but not without a restriction on the events that can be held there. Let's get the latest from Bob Reed, business writer and contributor with Chicago Magazine. Bob, thank you for joining us today. Uh, The short version, the verdict from the Land Use Commission in Evanston is almost like a cartoon. Somebody ran in waving their arms saying, wait a minute, wait a minute, stop the music. Well, it's sort of like that. Uh, Northwestern wanted a literal vote of confidence for the entire plan, but it didn't get that from this uh, land commission. Instead, like you said, they approved the rebuilding of the stadium, but they did not grant uh, or come out in favor of a zoning variance that would allow Northwestern to have up to six musical concerts at the rebuilt venue. Northwestern is saying that if it can't have those concerts, that it cannot make the stadium financially viable, and it may not go through with the plan. Uh, the community is saying, why not just build, the, rebuild the stadium, and we'll go from there. They don't want the concerts. The thing is that this is not a binding uh, decision. It's advisory. So sooner or later, this is going to end up before the Evanston City Council for final approval. And I guess if you are an opponent of concerts at the stadium, they've already knocked down that number from 15. And you could reasonably say, look, if we wait them out even longer, they can cut it from six to three and then three to zero. They're pretty adamant about not wanting to have the concerts there. And they argue that Northwestern has not made the case, particularly when it comes to the inconvenience that may be associated with them. I'm talking things like traffic and noise, even environmental. And the city seems to be listening to that. That's what the commission said, that Northwestern had not put its best foot forward in terms of making the case. That said, Northwestern uh, and its experts say that a lot of these concerns are overblown and that they, if they're just allowed to move ahead with the plan, uh, it'll work out for everybody. We're talking to Bob Reed, business writer and contributor with Chicago Magazine, about the Evanston Land Use Commission approving the development, the redevelopment of Ryan Field, a renovation of the uh, nearly century-old facility, but saying thanks but no thanks to concerts. Now, uh, Ryan Field's location is unique in the Big Ten in that it backs up 
right onto a number of houses. Uh, you, you can park in somebody's backyard on game day, as opposed to going to Madison or Iowa City or even Happy Valley, where the stadium is part of a sprawling college campus. It certainly is, and parking is one of the big issues, and it seems to be unaddressed in the initial plan that uh, the university is putting forward. There's also an emphasis on public transportation, but one of the things that came up during the hearing is that it's difficult to get people to use public transportation and then kind of ferry themselves over to where the university is, uh, the stadium is, which is in the middle of a residential community. That said, there are people in the business district that would like to see more traffic and would like to see more customers coming in on the weekends. They think it's silly to have a stadium for only a handful of games and not use it to its uh, greater extent. Once again, this is going to be a situation where the Evanston City Council is going to be put to the test. And, uh, you know, we're also waiting to hear about what the major donors, like uh, Pat Ryan, the insurance magnate here in the Chicago area, has to say about this. He's the lead uh, benefactor to the tune of $400 million. This is an $800 million stadium if it goes forward. And then, Bob, very quickly, has there been any discussion about the types of concerts that would be held there if there were to be concerts? I mean, could they come to a compromise where they say, okay, you you get your six concerts, but they all have to be Ravinia-style acts where it's the symphony and singer-songwriters and not Taylor Swift? I don't think it's gotten that granular. There has been some talk among the community people that they wouldn't mind if there were like smaller events like that or something that wasn't quite as raucous. But Evanston, uh, I'm sorry, and you makes the point that it has to have these concerts and big, bigger the better, I guess, in order to pay for the maintenance of the university and its ongoing, uh, not for the maintenance of the stadium and ongoing operations. So, you know, you have an argument here. It's all in the eye and the ears of the beholder about what these concerts should be like. Bob Reed, business writer and contributor, Chicago Magazine. Thank you for joining us today. Coming up next, exploring a new office trend called coffee badging. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. There's an emerging workplace trend that involves showing up for a short time with the sole purpose of just getting credit for the office FaceTime. Let's discuss the practice of coffee badging with Jason Wachtel, managing partner, J.W. Michaels & Company, based in Chicago. Jason, thank you for joining us today and it seems like coffee badging is exactly as it sounds uh you show up you swipe your badge you get your credit for actually showing up you have a cup of coffee and then you leave that's right i mean it's it's it started about a year or two ago a little bit when cough when big banks were mandating people come to the office people would just come in um they swipe their car they spend for an hour then they leave but it was very a small population that were doing that but now a lot of companies are requiring this hybrid workforce but a lot of people moved throughout the country so people are not happy because now they moved from they're in chicago they might move to florida now they're flying back for a day or two to swipe their badges they're there for an hour or two and then they leave so it's it's really having an opposite effect on morale. People are actually working less and being more discouraged and encouraging them to actually maybe apply for other jobs. Well, this does seem like, uh, especially when it comes to working less, uh, if you do commit to actually going to the office to swipe the badge, drink a cup of coffee, say hi to some people and go, which sounds like, parenthetically, that sounds like a tactic employed by George Costanza on Seinfeld 25 years ago. But if you do that, 
it's almost like you're in for a penny, you're in for a pound. If, if you're going to spend an hour or a half hour or even two hours flying to your office to swipe your badge, wouldn't it make sense to actually do some work while you're there? I completely agree with you. If you're going to take the time to get there, you might as well spend the day. But there's two things. If you sort of moved outside of Chicago to a suburb, you're annoyed, but it's not the end of the world. A lot of people physically moved out of the area, and it's a, it's a big drive or a flight to get there. So those people are just out of, out of principle or saying, you told me I can move. I'm just going there for an hour, and then I'm either going to stay at my friend's house, or I'm going to fly back or take the three-hour drive back to where I am. It's sort of like out of ego. You promised me one thing, employer. Now you changed it, and I'm not happy. What is the status of uh, return to office right now? Because uh, for the last year or so, uh, just based on my own uh, anecdotal observations on the train, it always seemed like Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday were the office days, and then Monday and Friday were the work-from-home days. But recently, I've discovered it seems that Monday is turning into more and more of an office day compared to, let's say, 18 months ago. Sure. So I think you're onto something. At, at JW Michaels, we're in the office Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. And I think if you go to the local coffee shop on Mondays or Fridays, there's pretty much nobody there, and it's really hurting the local business. There has been a push, though, to be at least four days a week in the office. The average is still three. So yes, the fourth day is generally becoming Monday. But that is sort of, again, a lot of employees are not happy about that. They set their lives. They set the babysitting schedule to be in the office three days a week. But that fourth day that's being picked up and that's being a encouraged your right is on a monday it's definitely not on a friday jason wachdell managing partner with jw michaels and company based in chicago thank you for joining us today still ahead in technology thursday the danger of artificial intelligence in amplifying misinformation worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole well good thing instacart shoppers are as picky as you are they find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line they are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This is Chicago's news traffic and weather station. News Radio 105.9. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Good afternoon. I'm Rob Hart. These are the top stories on News Radio WBBM. Israel continues its retaliatory strikes in Gaza, leveling neighborhoods. Residents of the West Loop weigh in on new migrant shelters. It's Technology Thursday, the role artificial intelligence can play in the spread of incorrect information. Eight new names added to the Michelin Guide to Chicago restaurants will meet the owner of one of them. WBBM Business, the markets are lower. The Dow is down 246 points. The Nasdaq is down 88. The S&P 500 is down 32. 58 degrees right now at O'Hare with light rain going up to a cloudy 60. It's 1231, topping our news at the half hour. Israeli airstrikes continue to hit targets inside of Gaza. Tensions are high in the northern part of the country as well, with a potential second front along the border with Lebanon. CBS News correspondent Imtiaz Tayeb reports. Israel was thrown into a fresh state of terror after a military alert warning of a, quote, aerial infiltration from Lebanon. An army spokesman later said it was an error. 
but on its northern border with Lebanon, Israel is taking no chances. CBS News has witnessed a mass mobilization of tanks and soldiers following four consecutive days of incoming rocket fire from southern Lebanon. More than 1,200 people have been killed in Israel, similar numbers being reported in Gaza. The city of Chicago led a community forum in the West Loop last night that discussed new migrant shelters. Danny Castaneda with the Family and Support Services Department agreed with residents who noted that more must be done for the city's homeless. We agree that we need to be doing more for everyday Chicagoans to prevent homelessness. And they're like this person who needed rental assistance to maintain their housing. The West Loop shelters could open as soon as tomorrow. It's 1232 as the noon business hour continues. Markets are in the red. Joining us on the Village of Bedford Park business line, reminding you to bring your business home is Jeff Kilberg, founder and CEO of KKM Financial based in Chicago. Jeff, thank you for joining us today. Uh, markets turned sharply lower in the last half hour or so. And uh, in, in my own experience, when the markets take a sudden tumble, uh, somebody said something. And is that the case today? Well, Rob, I think you're right. There's a lot of sensitivity to all types of rhetoric. And initially, we move off of what the Fed is saying. But now with the geopolitical tension in the Middle East, I think we're very sensitive as investors and traders. But if you see where the market is, I think there actually is a glimmer of hope. Let's rewind a year ago today, October 12th of 2022, the market bottomed out at 3577 in the S&P 500. We're nearly 800 points higher or about 22% higher. So being invested Staying with us has really been important, but we're really excited about the next catalyst for potentially the next leg higher. And I am cautiously optimistic that earnings season, which is being kicked off tomorrow with J.P. Morgan and some of the big banks, I think they will deliver better than expected earnings reports, which will allow us to overcome and get over the hurdle of all the different headwinds that the market currently is contending with. Did the consumer price index number uh, come as a surprise to the markets today? You know, slightly, but it's been offset with PPI. So all the data, uh, going back to last Friday when you saw the jobs report, better than expected. This is what the Fed is trying to utilize to help them with their Fed policy path. And when you see the 10-year note now up at 4.7%, that is making the cost of capital. That is being utilized to combat inflation. But I am in the camp that you're going to see yields come down. I think the Fed, if you remember the old Looney Tunes, uh, I'm calling the Fed Chairman Paul the chicken hawk. I think he's talking very hawkish, talking about more interest rate hikes, but I don't think they'll be warranted or justified. I think you're going to see the cuts we talk about in 2024. So I have cautious optimism when you see those interest rates come down in the long end of the curve, specific to the 10-year note and 30-year yields, getting more mortgages more expensive. That will allow equities to take this last leg up for Q4. Services inflation really seems to be the driver in the latest uh, consumer price index report, and that's kind of been the case uh, for this entire year. And then uh, the story in 22 was goods inflation. Is there a possibility that uh, services inflation will also uh, straighten itself out uh, from COVID-era disruptions, or is this uh, on beyond the uh, economic impact from COVID? We hope it can be dampened, but I think if you really think about it, Rob, we're living with inflation, no matter what the federal government is saying, that's coming down. And yes, the metrics they use, it is cooling, it is coming down, but they strip out food and energy. And last time I checked, we still drive to work, we still go to the grocery store, specifically in the Kilberg family household, we eat a lot of food. So we are enduring this higher inflation, but I think consumers are finding a way to overcome. We're making decisions. We're cutting out some luxuries and we're looking at more basics. So I think at the end of the day, we're going to get through this, but inflation overall is going to continue to go lower. And I know this is the uh, multi-trillion dollar question, but uh, is a soft landing still on the table? 
I think it is. And why, Rob, you ask, is due to the fact that the Fed's balance sheet is still over $8 trillion. That's the ultimate shock absorber. So that's where I have confidence that even though the Fed will probably try to screw it up, historically they've been notoriously for screwing it up, but that big balance sheet is quite the shock absorber for that soft landing. Jeff Kilberg, founder and CEO of KKM Financial based in Chicago. Thank you for joining us today. Coming up next in Technology Thursday, how AI is helping spread misinformation even to kids. Your daily transaction for useful information. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. It's Technology Thursday, and this afternoon we're focusing on the role of artificial intelligence in the spread of misinformation, especially during the election cycle. We welcome in Jennifer Jolly, Tech Life columnist for USA Today, founder, editor-in-chief of Techish.com, based in San Francisco. Jennifer, thank you for joining us today. And what are some ways that AI can be used or has been used to spread misinformation about big events? And I think we're seeing that right now with the uh, war between Israel and Hamas. Yeah, absolutely. And we expect this to ramp up tenfold during election season. The ways that it's being used are tenfold, really. Uh, It's being used to alter images, to edit and alter images, Um, lip dub. It can make it look like someone's saying something they're not or in a place that they're not. So think of a movie like Forrest Gump and how they were able to make, you know, Forrest Gump look like he was, you know, with the president. People, anyone, you and I can now alter video that same way using AI tools in our own homes and put that in the wrong hands, push it out to the world. Uh, People were using video games and pretending that that was parts of this uh, conflict in Gaza and people were falling for it. The, the larger issue, and I think this has been, uh, it predates AI, it predates social media manipulation. I mean, I remember uh, seeing some uh, very bad photoshops of John Kerry during the 2004 uh, presidential cycle that people believed because they wanted to believe them. So when it comes to misinformation online, is this a supply issue or a demand issue that people want to believe something because they want it to be true? Well, we tend to believe whatever our bias lends us to believe. So first of all, if the information is coming from social media, if that's the first place you saw it, right then ask yourself who's behind the information. If somebody says, especially somebody you don't know, oh, well, I got this from the New York Times or from CNN, leave that site, leave social media, leave the page you're on, open a few tabs and use keywords to find out more about a user or a news outlet from a post. This is called lateral reading and it's absolutely the first go-to, especially before you hit share. I think we've all sort of fallen victim to that. We share something that turns out to be fake news or AI-driven news. It's called click restraint. Look for a link from a familiar source of fact-checking outlet before you share, before you buy into it. We're talking to Jennifer Jolly, Tech Life columnist for USA Today based in San Francisco. I think one of the other uh, big issues, not only regarding some of the videos that have been circulating uh, from Israel and from the Gaza Strip in the last couple of days, is the algorithmic notion, uh, uh, power of, of some of these uh, social media sites could put find yourself in the, in the situation where your children are on TikTok or are on Instagram or on some social media application, and then all of a sudden some very gruesome stuff has been algorithmically boosted into their feed. 
Yeah, it's really important to go through all your social media outlets, and that includes YouTube. Parents forget about YouTube or even Google search and lock those down. Make it, you can go right in, and I, I talk you through and walk you through how to do this in my latest USA Today story. I also just published it on my own website at techish.com. But you filter content and you keep videos from auto-playing across social media apps that allow you to turn that feature off. Not all of them do. But, you know, we know right now that X, formerly known as Twitter, has been one of the worst that there is because they hollowed out the trust and safety team and verified accounts made from trolls and, and misinformers have gotten amplified. It's, it's become essentially a free-for-all. Apparently, X is working on turning that around, but I would just really lock that one down right now. Jennifer Jolly, Tech Life columnist for USA Today and founder and editor-in-chief of Techish.com based in San Francisco. Thank you for joining us today. Join us at this time tomorrow for Entrepreneur Friday and still to come, making it to the Michelin list. Investing 60 minutes each weekday for planning for the future. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. There are eight new names on Michelin's guide to Chicago restaurants, including Atelier. We welcome in owner owner Tim Lacey of Atelier, 4835 Northwest in Lincoln Square in Chicago. Tim, thank you for joining us today. Now, this is only the beginning of your Michelin journey, Tim. You don't know yet if you're going to get the star or stars or the bib gourmand. That will be determined uh, next month, I believe. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I believe the ceremony is on the 7th. And Tim, you know, tell me a little bit about your your journey uh, uh, to this point, because I think anybody who has watched uh, season two of The Bear knows uh, working towards getting a Michelin star is a very big deal. It is the culmination of your life's work. So what was it like for you when you were told that you made the guide this year? Yeah, it's really exciting. You know, I mean, it's um, it's a really great honor for the restaurant and especially for for chefs, and um, because these awards are specifically for the chef. You know, um, so we're really proud of him and really proud of the the work um, our staff has been doing to to get us to this point. And what 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 is the story of Atelier? How did you get here? Well, so um, I spent a long time in in restaurants um i was managing elizabeth restaurant for a while and then just before covid hit um the previous owner and chef elena regan um asked if i had any interest in taking over the restaurant she had a bunch of other stuff going on um and i agreed to and so we ran into elizabeth for a bit and at the end of last year the chef i had hired um decided it was time to move on and i took that as an opportunity to rebrand and rename the restaurant we do a little bit of remodeling um and i what I wanted to add out, and our chef Christian Hunter applied from Connecticut, and um, we interviewed, brought him out for a tasting, and it all went really well, and offered him the job. And shortly thereafter, he he moved out here. How much work and thought goes into rebranding a restaurant? I mean, you had some experience with the previous establishment. Now you're going to uh, bring your own vision to life. How much research goes into that? Uh, it, does it come to you like music? You know, this is this is the this is the concept. Does it like just come to you one day and then you want to execute it? Well, it was something that had been in the back of my mind for a while um, and kind of gestating subconsciously. Um, and uh, so when it came time to actually do it, it, the idea was there. It was fairly fully formed. Um, and I hadn't realized it, you know, um, it had just kind of developed on its own. 
And and then also, and then also j- just being in Lincoln Square, as far as uh, the, the 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 restaurant community is concerned, there you do have a couple of uh, Michelin establishments uh, not too far away on Lincoln Avenue. So is it just is it a a, a, a virtuous circle where you have all these people in the neighborhood uh, just taking advantage of all the great places that are there, or uh, is there some kind of uh, wary eyeing of each other on Lincoln Avenue? No, no. I mean, we we all get along. I mean, it's it's you know certainly competition, but it's friendly. You know, um, there there's no animosity between us, um, and you know we're we're really supportive of one another. And then when we get to uh, November seventh, when the uh, when the when the names are actually announced, and you find out if you get the star of the Bib Gourmand, uh, you know what, what what's the plan for celebrating, uh, regardless of the designation? <laughs> I'm trying really hard not to get too far ahead of myself. Just trying to manage expectations right now. Always a good idea. Tim Lacey, owner of Atelier 4835 Northwestern in Chicago. Thank you for joining us today. You'll find past programs and later today a podcast of this hour at WBBMNewsRadio.com and the Odyssey app. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.